Hey, live from tape pre-recorded at our studios in New Jersey. It's syndicated with Leslie and Ben. Don't fucking worry about it. I'm the Ben of that. And I'm the Leslie. This is a twice monthly podcast about television, genre, and storytelling in which we watch an episode of a show and explore the history of television one episode at a time. Leslie, it's time. We've been talking about this for a while. Obviously, this is a shared interest of you and I. You and I's. Of, of you guys. Um, sure. But yeah, we're starting season three. We're finally getting to talk about crime. This thing of ours. <laughs> hey, La Cosa Nostra. La, la, la yeah. Podcast Nostra. No, this sucks. This, I don't know. I don't know. You tried. You get a, You tried Gold Star. As long as I've, as, long, as far as I've known, I've always wanted to be a podcaster. Oh, God. The jokes suck. The quality of the episodes aren't going to get any better. But we are going to be talking about uh, crime uh, and that means a lot of prestige television, a lot of uh, HBO and Showtime, and uh, a lot of um, a lot of money laundering and drugs. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the the bigger ones, the bigger crime, because we're we're going to be focusing on uh, crime from criminals' perspectives mostly. It's not we're not looking into procedurals or anything like that. That's not what this is about. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, petty theft. Not not really what I care about. Not, not really what we're here for. Uh, maybe a Grand Theft Auto. But, Potentially, we'll see. But uh, yeah, we're... I think that I think that the uh, the main difference uh, between this season and our previous seasons is that uh, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of humor. <laughs> I mean, there, there will be a fair amount, but it's going to be different. Yeah, yeah, completely a different diff- vibe. It's going to be a different vibe. Yeah, we have covered obviously two shows uh, in which comedy is a key factor. And, hey, not every adult animated piece has to be comedic but they frequently are obviously true Um, true and then obviously we covered our workplace comedies with season one so yeah it'll be interesting to both dive into those or or dive into this without that element without comedy that we're focusing primarily on dramas but in addition to that uh these are obviously going to be significantly more narrative focused um whereas for many of the shows that we covered for the first two seasons you really could just drop in anywhere um you yep. Know, there's a there's typically an order to these events over here in uh in crime land, so I'm excited to see how we end up covering that. Yeah. Uh that being I'm really excited to see. Yeah. That being said, uh do you want to just launch into it? Well, yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. <clears throat> if you're just now joining us, we're talking about The Sopranos, the hit prestige crime HBO show that ran from nineteen ninety nine through two thousand seven. Often considered one of the greatest crime dramas of its type, Sopranos is HBO's fourth ever drama television show, premiering solidly between other HBO hits Oz, Six Feet Under, and The Wire. The show is created by David Chase and depicts the complicated life of Tony Soprano, a mob boss in the New Jersey mob. The show is split into two worlds, Tony's home life and his work life. His home life is populated with conflicts regarding how he can be a father to his children and butting heads with his demeaning mother. While his work life is a constant struggle of negotiating, terrorizing, and fighting his way to the top of the DeMeo crime family and defending it from all outside enemies. And boy, are there a lot of outside enemies. 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, lots of um, lots of uh, almost indictments from the police. Uh, sure. Lots of sure. Uh, definite indictments from the police. Lots of rival gangs. Yep. Lots of other people trying to come for the throne. Um, I love shows about organized crime and betrayal and and stuff. I legit that's my. Jam. I mean, they're the best. They're wonderful. What's not to love? Exactly. James Gandolfini, of course, plays the titular Tony Soprano, a violent and emotionally unstable mob captain who lives in the legacy of his father, Johnny Boy Soprano, and under the shadow of his dear mother, Livia Soprano. The stress... (laughs) Hey, look, I I think I've mentioned this to you before. She sounds, I'm not saying behaves, sounds exactly like uh, one of my dear departed grandmothers. Um, I know. Like, specifically all the, like, no, don't bother uh kind of like uh talk um shock i don't like that talk shocking comparisons i don't like that talk now of course she has not belittled me into uh you know whatever neither of my grandmothers spoilers spoilers me sure sure um but sounds sounds the sounds will get you the sounds will get you the stress of his life results in a panic attack that winds him up in the office of Dr. Jennifer Melfi, who attempts to teach Tony how to best manage the problems he gets from all sides of his life. Uh, James Gandolfini's other prominent work is in film, including the Coen Brothers movie The Man Who Wasn't There, which is actually one of my favorites of theirs, and the mob comedy yeah. Get Shorty. Have you ever... Can I, I've actually never seen that particular coen brothers film I, i've seen a lot of their films but i haven't seen that one i've seen all but two um uh-huh. i'm a huge fan i think they're actually my favorite director Z-Z-Z. oh <laughs> plural yeah um those those brothers th- those brothers by the way I, i'm sure i've mentioned this before i always find it so funny when two guys share a wikipedia page yeah uh, nothing <laughs> well funnier. born in 1957 and 1959 uh, uh, okay so yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're brothers, so it's a little different from, like, you know, the people who share a Facebook account or whatever. <laughs> yes, yes, like that's weirder. <laughs> um, so much weirder. Uh, but, yeah. but, yeah, one of my favorites, shot entirely in black and white. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton is the protagonist of that one. Um, okay. It's like, it's like a small okay. town crime story that's really interesting. Uh, all right, all right. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think James Gandolfini plays a local furniture store owner. How interesting. Yeah. So is so his role's not really super big then. Mm, it's pretty big in the scale of what happens in the story, which is a very small story. Okay. You know, okay. I mean, very much it's a Coen Brothers like comedy of errors kind of thing. Sure. Um. Anyway, well worth it. Uh, I thought it was great. All He's right. in there for like solid. Okay. A good chunk of it. Okay, I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, go ahead. Edie Falco uh, plays Tony's wife, Carmela Soprano. Carmela is no-nonsense with Tony about his issues. There's a lot of love and a lot of anger between Carmela and Tony, and a core conflict of the show is how they manage their relationship as they parent their two children, Meadow and AJ. Uh, After The Sopranos ended, Falco would play Jackie Payton on Nurse Jackie, the Showtime medical dramedy, for six seasons, Uh, which obviously she was the, the, the title character in that. Uh... I'm just going to say, I think that if we ever do get around to doing this genre, I would not be upset to talk about Nurse Jackie because I watched that show and it was absolutely fantastic. Just absolutely excellent in 
almost every way I could think of. That's one of your like just capital incredible... S shows, right? It really, really is. It really, really is. I absolutely adore that show for so many reasons. And uh, yeah, I think it should get more love. Um, I think that it was one of those that was a little bit uh, not not overlooked by everybody, but overlooked by enough people to where it, you know, it wasn't as heard of, I guess. Um, would you? Which is a real shame because it's awesome. Would you categorize, say we were to cast a season right now, is that uh, like fully a medical thing or would you, or could you do like prestige dramedy as its own? I would say definitely prestige dramedy. The medical factor of it is, is really more or less like the setting, you know, mm. it's, it's not really one of those where it's like, you know, oh, this is quarter steroids and blah, blah, blah. Like it's not, it's not like that at all. Yeah. I would say. And there are so many, there are so many shows like that, especially on like these kind of prestige platforms that don't really have a capital G genre you uh-huh. know what I mean where they're just like yeah they're they're interesting characters and they're like the the an interesting event in an interesting character's life but it's not like UFOs touchdown or anything sure you know um I mean I guess like White Lotus is kind of like that you know where it's okay. just like a very like adult drama uh in which you uh-huh. know there's some like dark comedy in it um I feel like that's like plenty of like HBO and and Showtime's like kind of output, um, and I okay. love those shows. But yeah, like because there isn't like cocaine, <laughs> and it isn't a crime sure. show. Sure, <laughs> which is always the always the hallmark of of prestige television. For sure, for sure. What what are the drugs we're doing today? What's up with that? <laughs> uh, Michael Imperioli plays Christopher Moltisanti. Tony's young nephew and one of the newest members of his crew, Christopher, is impulsive and eager to please Tony, which leads him to causing more problems than he ends up fixing. Imperioli was recently on the HBO dramedy White Lotus, season two, as a tourist at the Sicilian White Lotus Resort, a show on which he killed it. Yeah. But didn't kill anyone. I know. Don't worry. I I know. I know. I know. It's on my list. It's on my list. Mm -hmm, Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It's on my list. The uh, the late, great, amazing Tony Sirico plays Polly Walnuts, who by this season is a captain in the DeMeo crime family under Tony. Uh, recognized by his signature tracksuits and graying temples, Polly Walnuts ends up enforcing most of Tony's more outlandish crimes. Leslie, I've um, I posted this to our Twitter, at SyndicatedWLAB, yes. and I asked you directly. I just yes. want to get it on the record here on the podcast. Okay. Is Polly Walnuts the greatest fictional character of all time? Discuss. <laughs> I mean, he's he's pretty legit. He's pretty... He, I think that a lot of, of what makes his character so fantastic is... I mean, there's a lot to it, right? He's got a very dis- distinctive way of speaking. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he, repeats, he repeats himself a lot. Like, you know, hey, don't you hear what I just said? And he'll repeat his joke over again. And for some reason, that makes it funnier. <laughs> um, you know, just a lot of stuff like that. Um, his laugh and he also of course he is he as well as most of most of the uh the crew have a lot of malaprism uh, malapropisms there we go words are hard malapropisms uh some of the stuff they say is just so funny <laughs> and then we get in that some of it's in this episode in fact so yeah it sure is i um uh we recorded a, a bonus episode uh a ways ago about crime shows right when i started sopranos for the first time 
Um, uh-huh. And I said that, like, I am more willing to let... <laughs> I'm more willing to latch onto these characters and let things slide with them, like, on a crime... <laughs> in a crime sense, because they just kind of have, like, such right. intense uncle energy. They really uh, do. You're absolutely right. Walter White does not have that <laughs> for me. Um, That's also valid. But, like, I, I genuinely think Polly Walnuts is, like, the most an uncle anybody on this uh, show is. Uh, yeah. In terms of just like his, his weird goofiness, um, I think is a critical factor. Anyway, I love him. I love the way yeah. uh, he's portrayed and I love the way he talks. Um, oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of life in that character. Uh, yeah, he's he's definitely he's just written really well. He's written really, really well. Um, I love him. He's great. Definitely one of the greatest. For sure. Rest in peace, Tony. Yeah. Lorraine Bracco plays Dr. Jennifer Melfi, Tony's therapist. Hardly a calming presence in Tony's life, the two clash repeatedly while discussing Tony's allegiances and vendettas, and while she struggles to help him with his anxiety, depression, and family life. Um, yeah. She's wonderful. <laughs> she, she really is. Uh, she was, we're, we were talking about this before, she was, uh, she's one of those fixtures, right? Like one of those darlings who's in a lot of these types of, this type of media. Uh, yes. Um, she, so actually, yeah, uh, a good idea to bring her up now because she, yeah. as well as, let's see if I remember, she, along with uh, Imperioli, Tony Sirico, and like two others. Oh, here it is. Uh, Frank Vincent and Vincent Pastor uh, are uh. all in Goodfellas as various characters. Lorraine Bracco is literally like the second lead because she plays Karen Hill, uh, the main character's wife. Um, well, I guess Robert De Niro is the second lead, but whatever. <laughs> um, uh, and like, yeah, Michael Imperioli plays like a uh, kind of an under soldier guy in the sure. mob who like one of the not a capo, but like a not a made guy yet, but just like one of the soldiers. Definitely not a made guy uh, because they sure, shoot sure. him for fun. Uh, well, there you go. And, uh, yeah, Tony Sirico's, like, in the background of, like, one shot. He's, like, when they're doing, like, a like a montage through the bar of all the shitty uh-huh. people they know, he's in there. Uh, but, yeah, there's, like, five okay. Sopranos actors just chilling in, in Goodfellas, like, nine years before wow. Sopranos starts. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's, uh... So imagine the youngest a... Michael Imperioli you can imagine. No, younger. Younger. Younger than that. Younger, younger still. Mm-hmm. Well, he does a wonderful, wonderful job. I just think that's fun. Because obviously, you know, there's, like, no shit. There's through lines between, like, Scorsese shit. Sure. And this. And then going forward into, like, Boardwalk Empire, which Scorsese executive produced, I'm pretty sure. Are we going to... Do you think we're going to... Are you, are we going to talk about that one as well? Do you think? Oh, I imagine a guest will... I imagine. Yeah. I imagine so, yeah. I, I imagine we, we probably will. I, have either of us oh, right. seen it ever? I never have. Mm, neither have I. Uh, we'll find a guest, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool uh, watching, you know, it's cool watching those through lines. Because obviously this kind of like, um, you know, mob entertainment would not exist if Scorsese hadn't made so many movies in the 70s about like organized crime oh, yeah. and whatnot. You know, I, I don't think it would be half as popular if Goodfellas wasn't a smash hit less than a decade earlier. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I think that, that the tack taken with this one, the the whole premise of what if Mob Boss goes to therapy is is that's what really made this stand out. Um, oh, absolutely. 
but we'll but we'll get to all that well clearly um, that premise you know kind of already existed in the form of um analyze this came out a couple years before this which one was first analyze this or analyze that analyze this okay i couldn't remember that is the uh uh fucking billy crystal and bobby de niro uh mob comedy i'm pretty sure right that yes it is yes it is and you're and it's the same same thing it's you know oh i'm sorry go and go. it's the same year Oh, really? I, I super thought that came out a couple years before Sopranos. No, they both came out in 99. Oh. Well, okay So then. there are... Well, two very, two very different approaches to uh, to this to this genre. How about that? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, is this... <laughs> uh, trying to decide no, I mean, here and just... now if this show would be improved by the presence of Billy Crystal. Can't tell. Um, I mean, what what isn't improved by the presence of Billy Crystal... No, you're right. You're right. Um, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> so I'm saying. Uh, Steven Van Zant plays Silvio Dante, Tony's right-hand man, consigliere and owner of the strip club that Tony's branch of the DeMeo crime family hangs out in. Steven Van Zant Named. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, it's called the Bada Bing. The Bada Bing. Uh, it's called the Bada Bing. It's a beautiful thing. I didn't mean to make that rhyme. It just did. It's a strip club. <laughs> the logo is uh, uh, so fucking seedy. It's the seediest. It's it's gross. Um, it's gross. The, the the bees in Bada Bing have nipples on them. Um, they sure do. It's it, it looks like a bad place to go to. Uh, that's nothing yeah. against strip clubs. That is something against this strip club. <laughs> this one in particular, I would say. Yeah, I'm not for sure. Yeah, um, and and Stephen Van Zant, man, he uh, he's into a little bit of everything. He uh, he is uh, he's the guitarist for Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, which is incredible. Local New Jersey uh, landmark, Stephen Van Zant. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I realize now, talking about their other credits, that we didn't elaborate on uh, the fact that the the late wonderful, great, fantastic Tony Sirico uh w- was in the life he was in that this this thing of ours he he was actually in the mafia for for quite some time i'm sorry is that true that's true you didn't know that no you look it up man oh <laughs> yeah arrested look, look it look into it arrested a grand total of 28 times 28 times that's for right disorderly conduct assault and robbery uh before taking up acting <laughs> my god hey i guess he was like well i can't do anything else right now Served 20 months in sing sing yeah he sure did no i had no clue oh yeah um, oh yeah so it's yeah a whole thing that's uh that's funny um in that case his other uh his other credits include jail his other credits include jail <laughs> wild I, yeah no, i had no, no clue i know i know it just makes it I don't know, for some reason it just makes it a lot more interesting to me yeah, than no, it would be uh, otherwise. Undoubtedly. It's uh who who else is that? It's uh Oh, I guess Danny Trejo. Oh yeah. I always forget about that. I always forget and that. And I feel fact. like there's another there's another guy that like Michael Mann used to work with all the time, back when Michael Mann uh-huh. still made movies. Who was like okay. a former like private eye or whatever turned actor. Where they huh. just like weirdly brought in their talents. Right. Uh, and that's that's what always gets me, too, is it's like, 
how do these guys, how are they so good at what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Like, weren't you like wanted? (laughs) Right, right. Weren't you like, I mean, I mean, good, good, good on you. Love that for you, but also bonkers, absolutely wild. Bonkers indeed. Yeah, it's always because because then they like show up and they're like, no, we would have done it like this or whatever. Um, Right. Especially, yeah. Again, I I wish I could remember what actor that Michael Mann works with that I'm thinking of, or like the the famous story about Two Towers where uh, Peter Jackson is like directing Christopher Lee, and Christopher Lee is like, "No, I know what it's like when someone gets stabbed in the back. I got this." Ah, uh, uh, yeah, that's good point. Referring to that's his old point. his old job as a Nazi hunter. Oh yes, which shouldn't be which shouldn't be forgotten. That's a, that is a fact. I actually did know that was aware of that so proud of myself for that one but yeah uh yeah nuts this is steven van zandt's first acting role he was just asked to yeah, come in yeah. and, and read some lines uh silvio that is correct silvio dante i adore him uh i think one of the funniest jokes to me in the entire series of the sopranos is when they have a truck full of stolen suits um oh my god that was yes stolen without tony's uh say so um and chris is trying to like see see i can be a criminal too or whatever and they're discussing about what to do with all these stolen suits um uh-huh. and silvio is like checking himself out in the mirror wearing one of them and then it cuts to him at one point he just goes tom do they all gotta go they're back yeah do they all gotta go back oh god classic no i think classic. he's so fucking funny it is. It's absolutely hilarious. The episode that we're covering today, and we'll get to that in just a moment, was directed by Steve Buscemi, who would later star in Boardwalk Empire as Nucky Thompson, and was written by Sopranos writer Terrence Winter, who would later go on to executive produce Boardwalk Empire once Sopranos came to an end. Winter wrote 25 episodes of Sopranos during the show's run, and if I can do some math real quick, that's roughly a third of them. Yeah, I think so, because let's see. So it was nine seasons. No. I thought that last time. Uh, it's Why do I always keep thinking it's nine seasons, it's like seven seasons, right? Six and a half, I think. Because they did the... Six and a half. They did that two-parter thing that like later things like Doctor Who and Walking Dead would do all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they'd do like... Yeah. but it, so, so technically speaking, they consider it six seasons. So. Yeah. Okay. You know where they do like season six part A and part B and there's like a two-month gap uh-huh. in between or something? Yep. Um, I feel like that got real popular with like AMC shows for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I think there's like 85 episodes in total. So 25 is roughly a third. Oh, uh, yeah. Damn yeah. talented writer then. Yeah. You don't get that far without it, I'd say. Last but incredibly not least, we're watching season three, episode 11, The Pine Barons. Polly Walnuts and Christopher Moltisanti are tasked by their boss, Tony Soprano, to make a collection from a Russian associate of theirs. What starts as some petty tension in the Russian's apartment escalates until Polly and Christopher are ankle-deep in the snow searching New Jersey's frozen pine barrens for their runaway would-be victim. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tony juggles his affair with a fellow patient of Dr. Melfi's, and his daughter, Meadow, learns about heartbreak the hard way. Leslie, I have some questions for you. I'm sure you do. (laughs) So you 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 should mention that this is, you know, the reason why you're asking me these questions. Just because we haven't brought that up yet. Leslie, this is your staff pick. That it is, Ben. And I, I'm so tempted to fly into a dumb little uh, bit that's just like, why did you pick this, huh? Where's your loyalty? Uh-huh. <laughs> whatever, but like, yeah, whatever. At the end of the day, hey, why the Sopranos? 
Sure. Uh, well, as you know, I just really, really love this show for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, as far as prestige television is concerned, this is definitely considered to be one of the, the pioneers, if not the pioneer, at least in terms of viewership. Uh, you know, because there definitely were other shows that were that were doing it and doing it the same, doing it pretty well. Uh, but it was so new that it wasn't really a household name kind of thing. Um, and I think that mostly, you know, I know that in our previous seasons, we've kind of shied away from uh, doing, you know, the granddaddy, the staples, you know, what have you. But I feel like this show is different uh, in that it's the, I mean, it's, it really is kind of the start of it all. And I feel like you can't consider these kinds of shows without considering this one. Um, so that's that's what I think. Yeah, something about... And that's why I chose this show. Something about, and this may be too deep in the weeds, but something about like the difference between something being like foundational to the genre versus the, versus the biggest version of it or whatever. Um, right, that's... A, yeah, I completely agree. But yeah, something about this felt so foundational that we couldn't ignore it. Whereas, yes. for example, season one, The Office did not start the workplace comedy. Correct. And like, you know, it can't, I guess, you know, it could be argued that The Simpsons, you know, is a, I mean, it was very pioneering. I agree with that completely. But, you know, I just, we, like I said, my favorite podcast of all time uh, is uh, Stuff You Should Know. And they did like their 1000th episode was like a two-parter just about The Simpsons. So like, it's been done. Yeah. And this has probably also been done, but it's our show and I wanted to. So that's the, that's the, that's the main reason. It all comes down to genre semantics and we're the fuckers in charge. So. Yeah. That's, that's literally what it's about. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, no, obviously I completely agree. If you hadn't brought it up, I would have brought it up. I've only ever sure. watched, um, like a third of the show, but obviously I have an immense affinity for it and immense affinity for these characters or else I would not have made a sidetrack to talk about Polly Walnuts like that. <laughs> um, which was which was fair and valid fair and valid thank you yeah no Truly. it's the fucking sopranos like <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know how like, else why, to why, that. why would we not want to talk about that it, it is you know if we were to word association game right now like if i said prestige tv you would say sopranos I, that's what i would say yeah um absolutely like you know it's hard to divorce it from where it shows up in its uh, in the lineup of like great television, it's hard to, uh, you know, you, you can't not claim that it like revitalized interest in crime in like in a certain lens. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's the Sopranos. What else is, is there to say? What, what else worry. is there to say? You know, we still got like 40 minutes. <laughs> we still have lots to say, actually. Lots of, lots of opinions. You know, it is nuts to me uh, scrolling up again uh, earlier in the script that this is hbo's fourth ever drama program um yes in terms of their original programming obviously they had plenty of other original programming i believe both curb your enthusiasm and sex in the city both debuted before this okay i think so pretty sure i'm not i don't remember when sex in the city i believe 98 actually did it really i'm i'm near certain um wow curb feels like such a post 2000s but like literally 2000 show yeah, but i yeah. couldn't tell you if oh no all right my bad october 15th 2000 okay okay <laughs> sorry so a little you bit know, later good job ben you know google's little drop down prompts that you can click on 
yeah. for like other people's yeah. questions. It just sure. sorry. Uh, the first one I saw as I looked that up just said, "What is the premise of Curb Your Enthusiasm?" Well, the premise is Larry David. That's it. That is literally the premise. That's it. So that's all I need, really. What else do you need? It is truly whatever Seinfeld wanted to be a show about nothing. Curb succeeded. There that's is no premise true. other than Larry David is a dickhead. Anyway, so, so so true, bestie. Um. No. Anyway, but yeah, like it's um. It's nuts how early this was, you know, in the in the scheme yeah. of um, in the scheme of HBO. Even though HBO had been around for a while, they didn't do original programming right away, um, or at least yeah. not in the way that we associate with them as doing so now. You know, truly, it was the home box office. It was just where you could watch yep. movies scheduled as TV. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was that was their whole thing. Yeah, that was their whole selling point. That was the appeal of um, a lot of premium cable, obviously. Uh, as I imagine, we'll keep talking about these networks with Showtime and Stars and uh, which is American movie. Why we're Channel. having these conversations to begin with? Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, AMC. Um, hell, even uh, even the original version of the Disney Channel was literally just them re-showing their old movies over and over again. Yeah. Uh, before yeah. they started doing original programming and then tried to do like Playhouse Disney and all that stuff. Um, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, back back in the early days. It's funny because like the word cable is so ubiquitous with like television, right. but it's kind of, yeah. you got to remember like, no, cable was a thing that got invented well after television started. And that's where we get, yeah. you know, CNN and Ted Turner and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. It's not comparatively new tech uh, right now in 1999, <laughs> but like widespread adoption of it is now big enough that they can justify doing prestige TV shows like this that are uncensored uh-huh. and people say fuck and there's nipples on the screen and, you know. Right, right. And then there's, and you got nipples on the screen. Ah. It's crazy. And there's like, ah. and there's like gun violence and like actual gun violence, not just like people shooting blanks and going pew pew. Sure. Sure, like it's like it's real. Yeah. Well, as real, I mean, as real as television is gonna get. As real as television is gonna get. It's 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 a little it's it's a little less Mickey Mouse, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Sure. Um, So yeah. So that's so that's why that's why this show. Yeah. Foundational. For me, uh, Sopranos was absolutely uh, television that I uh, (laughs) television that I know my parents watched after I went to bed. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Because yeah, I was a fucking uh, six when this show came out. Uh, oh, which meant Ben. I know it was Sex in the City and Sopranos, et cetera, et cetera, that were, all right, Ben, it's 9 p.m. on a Sunday. Go to it's bed. Time, it's just 9 p.m. on a Sunday. It's time to go to bed. Oh, boy. I mean, actually, isn't Sopranos the, isn't Sopranos where, like, the Sunday night being their prestige slot is, isn't that where that comes from? I don't know. That's a good question, and I would have to look that up because I am unsure. Because, like, that's where Game of Thrones later occupied and all that. Oh, yeah. I guess that was a Sunday night kind of situation. Yeah. I think you could be onto something here, Ben. I don't I don't know, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know for sure, but just talking out of our asses here. It's great. Well, let's talk out of our asses a little more. Leslie, why this episode? Well, let's do it. Why this episode? Well, uh... <laughs> So, you know, when we're talking about prestige television, we're talking about uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Why wouldn't you pick the episode that is almost universally lauded as being one of the best episodes of television, period, that's ever existed? Uh, I think that if you want to talk about The Sopranos, we could talk about, I think this is 
one of the episodes to, to point to most readily. I think it's one of the most accessible. I also think that uh, in addition to that, you know, for somebody who hasn't seen the show, which I mean, I, I know you have, I know you've <laughs> seen it, but, uh, but you know, you haven't seen all of it. You actually haven't, there's a lot of it that you haven't, haven't seen. And uh, I think that uh, it stands alone on its own really, really well. I think that there's not a lot of explanation that's necessary for you to get what's going on or the motivation behind the, the character's actions. Uh, it's just, it's just all around. It's just peak. It's just tops. It's just great. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's, uh, I mean, you know, like, Hey, rightfully earned. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's spot as, you know, one of the greatest episodes of TV. Yeah. That's why, that's why, that's why Pine Barrens. That's why, that's why. Uh, I did just double check, by the way. Uh, yeah, Sunday night slot. There you go. Uh, nine nine p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, nineteen ninety nine. Wow. Um, I don't know if well, it was the first of their shows uh, to hold sure. that spot, but uh, you know, obviously that definitely became a trend because that's what they were trying to do sure. was capture that like Monday morning water cooler uh, talk at the office. Uh, oh my God, did you watch Sopranos last night, etc. Um, sure sure yeah no pine barrens is a real unique episode i was worried because i've never actually gotten this far in the show just because i've been watching it mm. unfortunately at a snail's pace so i was worried that there were going to be spoilers <laughs> but i guess really the only spoiler that i can tell is that like uncle june gets a little sicker which yeah. uh yeah it doesn't as far as the plot is concerned you really don't get a lot of quote-unquote like spoilery plot things that happen uh which is which is excellent so yeah it's you know it's it's a great standalone it's its own thing and i love that about this episode i love that you can just kind of crawl into it this is going to be praise of sopranos overall and the way that it's written uh which is that i think the conflict feels very uh loose and the the kind of plot Uh arcs feel very loose i like how something can um very frequently it doesn't feel like it needs to all be wrapped up by season's end or wrapped up uh, by yes. episode end um, mm-hmm. that like, you know, there, there, there will be heat from the cops or from the FBI for a while. And that might not dissipate for like four ish episodes or something like that. Uh-huh. Or, you know, Tony will suspect someone's a mole and that'll last a couple of episodes, but it doesn't, things don't feel like they need to like wrap up tightly, you know, put a bow on it or whatever by the end of the season. Um, right. I, w- I would not say this, I would not say the show like does like a uh, does like a lot of like cliffhangers or anything like that. Sure. Um, it just makes really compelling character drama throughout. Um, yeah. In, in a way that obviously keeps you invested and keeps you coming back. Pine Barrens, I think, mm-hmm. is kind of a unique obse- uh, exception uh, because I think it is a very tight episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I introduces a primary and. Uh, resolves a primary conflict within you know the 50 or so minutes that the episode happens in but just like right it, it is um i don't know not a bottle episode not really filler because it you know it no it does really accurately you know showcase these characters it's very well written you know they do kind of end up they do kind of you know wind up back where they where they started they literally don't get the money from the crime <laughs> That is, yeah, it was, it was in the car, <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I do think though, there is a lot to be said for, uh, the fact that this 
was so uniquely done in that the A story is a, a story that would normally be kind of a kind of a joke, you know? It would be like the A story is literally this Polly and Chrissy get lost in the woods and it just sounds like the wildest tangent that you could possibly go on, but it, you know, works. They make it work. I guess that's, that's maybe what I'm saying is like, it. obviously it is a filler episode, but it doesn't feel like one because the writing is so fucking solid. Yeah, I guess, I guess you bring up an excellent point, I think, because by all accounts, technically speaking, yeah, it is. It is a filler episode. But the fact that the filler episode, the quote unquote filler episode of this series is considered to be just one of the best episodes of television. That's just bonkers to me. Yeah, because, I mean, these Absolutely are... Absolutely bonkers. I mean, no shit, these are characters that are so well set up and well portrayed, um, mm-hmm. you know, that they they can stand out even if the forward momentum isn't necessarily there. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, they wind up back where they started. They didn't get the money. They, they lost one <laughs> shoe minus one car. Um, no one's character dynamics have like changed necessarily except for, I guess, Meadow, but you know, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of, (laughs) it's like a whole lot of trouble, but then they go back to like, just to floor one or whatever. Right, right, right. Which does technically make it, you know, uh, a bottle or not a bottle episode that that's technically something else. That is, that is something else. Um, but you know, again, it feels really satisfying even knowing all of that. Yeah. It is really, really wild how that works. Yeah. But there's lots of reasons why this is just a fantastic episode of television in general, you know. You take some really strong characters, put them in a really stressful situation. Sure. See where it goes. And see where I see what happens. Yeah, I think that's a testament to Sopranos, like really naturalistic writing. Um, yeah, as well. I agree. Like, you know, obviously as absurd as that would be to happen to either you or I, like nothing sure. about the the circumstances of this episode feel that wild for these characters yeah yeah again something i love about the show is it's really compelling you know character and drama work that like yeah the these kind of of course these kind of conflicts nothing feels too artificial like it feels Uh it very much feels like you know paulie's dumb temper over (laughs) someone else having a cooler tv and not saying please when they tell him to put his remote down like, sure. oh yeah, of course that like flares up and all of a sudden there's a physical altercation and then all of a sudden they're in South Jersey. Why wouldn't that be what happens here? Yeah, n- nothing feels too weird because these characters are like so well solidified, so well cemented in 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 their stupid little patterns, which is to sure. uh, stumble into a, you know, stumble into a good deal, fuck it up due to their petty little <laughs> pettiness. What, their pettiness, their general pettiness. Either have to start all over or somehow make it out ahead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I've, I've literally never considered that this is technically speaking a filler episode before. That just blows my, that just blows my mind. Hey, television genre and storytelling right here on Syndicate. Hey, it's why we're here. So, yeah. I got a pile of notes, but if you, unless you have a. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Uh, this is praise about the Sopranos overall. I know I already said this about its naturalistic dialogue and storytelling. Uh huh. The set design on this show is so fucking good. Yes. Yes, um, it is. I love, this is the thing maybe I'll touch on a little later, but I love um, Tony's office, his uh, his boat, oh, his, yeah. uh, what, what's the other guy, Slava? Slava, yeah. yeah Slava's yeah, yeah. office, 
and and how there's some obvious parallels between those two like uh-huh. that's you know very much the point in in that it's these like kind of clanky metal desks uh in these like back mm. rooms of popular businesses oh yeah um, oh yeah that's the stuff <laughs> but like you know like those places are meant to feel like kind of bare bones and no i'm sorry they're not bare bones they're not very nice offices but they're not bare bones because they are like sure Nothing about that is minimalist because they're covered in, like, family photos and all sorts of, mm. like, odds and ends and junk that we associate with those characters. Yeah, and that's what that's what I think part of me, part of me is always so impressed when I, uh, when I watch this series because it has kind of a, a feeling of what poor people think rich people live like. Oh, for sure. For lack of a better way to explain it. Um, and I just remember that this is absolutely what my old house used to look like in the nineties when I was a kid. Oh my God. Uh, you know, sure. my dad was into all that chintzy shit. Uh, just bonkers, just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Do we want to talk about the Sopranos residence? <laughs> uh, yeah, we can. Sure. Oh my God. Throwback. I mean, I just, every time I see it, it gives me nostalgia. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, there's something to be said, obviously, for, you know, hey, look, uh, the flow of time and styles change and all that. And, like, uh-huh. you got to remember that some of the cars they drive are, like, really high-end for 2000. Sure. Um, obviously, they're not what we consider stylish now anymore, <laughs> you know, because sure. we've, we've largely abandoned that really boxy look that so many of these cars have. Yeah. But you know, you look at their watches and their their cars and and all their all their shitty McMansions. They're they're everything, really. Like, hey, we could roll our eyes at that McMansion they all live in now. That yeah, is... but back then, that's what I'm saying. Back then, that was the business, like peak of luxury I... for 1999. Oh, one thousand percent, one thousand percent. Now, I do not even remotely claim to come from a family that is that rich, nor are we involved uh-huh. in the mob. But like sure. uh, those throw pillows, uh, the kind of uh, uh, floor skirts around those couches. Uh huh. Um, we didn't have those columns, but I know people who did. <laughs> I had them. Yeah. I had them in my, in my. I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's just it's so yeah it's so weird it's it's the height of luxury, uh, but yeah like, it, like no shit it's great set design like when you look at that or like uh, live Sopranos like retirement. Uh, home room like it just gives off such a oh yeah uh, oh yeah such like a stark view into that exact time period i know we all uh-huh. like idolize certain um th- there's certain iconography we associate with each decade's design um that i think sure p- gets pushed to the forefront and like you know it's the the neon 80s and the the orange to yellow like kind of green yeah but that, of the 70s. that that pastel 90s though that pastel like everywhere looked like a timeshare in Destin Florida like there was just something to be said for it uh, yeah no extremely extremely I'm saying that when I what when you dip down what pop culture is putting out on TV and and yeah. dip past that into how people are actually living in their homes like that's the yeah. aesthetic for I mean, hey, maybe it's because I'm born in the '90s, but so much of the '90s aesthetic for me is like a lot of like children's programming. Like it's the way it's the way kids dressed with like the clashing bright colors. Oh yeah, and like the overalls kind of thing or whatever. Like I'm thinking of like ads for like here's how you can use a Windows computer or whatever. Yeah, but, that's like, what I'm saying. Nah, like, people like, looked like this. There was, 
more of like an acid wash. Like, like I said, the, the, the pastel was a huge thing. I mean, it's, it's a specific aesthetic for sure. Totally. People forget how brown the eighties were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I think this gives us like a really clean insight into what the fucking, what, what Y2K looked like. <laughs> and it was kind of hideous. And it was ugly, but I, I agree with you completely. I think it locks in their character designs, but like, I think it does a great job of, of really showcasing what we're supposed to feel about all these places that like, Oh, absolutely. Places where the monsters hang out, feel gross. Yeah. Like, like beyond it being a strip club, you know, that's not the only reason why it feels icky. Um, you know, there's, there's a griminess to it that just exists there. That's just not fun. The Sopranos home. It's just not pleasant. The Sopranos home feels very obviously 1999 bougie, but it also feels so fake. It feels very yeah. uh, uh, show home. It really, uh, really does. Which, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Very show home. Which, very demo. Which, you know, it is, obviously, because the family is a disaster, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, you can have oh, yeah. as many, like, columns in your living room as you want. Uh, you know, <laughs> your family doesn't really trust you. Now, I don't know if you've seen this episode or not, Ben, um, but there is an episode in which they get raided. Yeah, that's and like season one, they have to hop. I don't remember which season it's in, but you, I mean, it could be, it very well could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. I don't even remember to be honest, but, uh, yeah, I think that, 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 so they get raided and then like Carmela's having to like clean up everything and it's, you know, a complete disaster and it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of, that's, uh, how the life is like, like behind their nice house, behind this, this facade, there is a, uh, there's guns in the walls and stuff. And you <laughs> yeah, have to yeah, think yeah. about that when, when you're, when you're thinking about how this family works. Yeah. Caches of stolen money in duffel bags in the rafters and all that jazz. Yeah. You get it. Yeah, you get absolutely. It. Yeah. But like, exactly. You know, the, the only places that like have like an air of professionalism to them are like Jennifer Melfi's office. You know, uh-huh. like the that smooth 90s office furniture look. It's just like, it does a great job of communicating how we're supposed to feel about each uh, respective environment. And like, again, that plus yeah. the naturalistic writing and all that jazz. It just, this world, it, you know, whatever. Maybe it's uh, corny to say it, but the world feels so lived in. Yeah. I don't think that's corny. I think that's, I mean, that's what they're going for. So, yeah. Why, I mean. Totally, totally, totally. That's it. Do we want to talk more about Pine Barren specifically? I mean, yes, but, but I'm kind of like, where do you even, where do you even start, man? <laughs> where, where to start? Where to begin? Hit me. Hit me. That's, Let's talk about Christopher. That's the true question. So yeah, you know, the main, the main premise of this episode is obviously that uh, Christopher and Polly are, are going to uh, procure some, some money from a Russian gentleman who owes them a certain amount. And uh, it's funny. It's I think it's even funnier because uh, the reason why Polly is involved to begin with is because Silvio's sick with something. Yeah. So like Silvio can't go. Um, and it's just, it's just really funny. Like the whole premise, the way that it was built up, it's just, golly, just top tier shit. But yeah, so I think that the important thing in this episode to remember is that Again, this this really could have just been like the B plot or whatever, but they chose to make this the the cornerstone of the episode. Like, here's the point, uh, and it does. I guess that it does things to change the dynamic between 
Polly and Christopher, which I, which I adore anything that, you know, like, like there's this line that's one of my favorite lines in all of television, to be honest with you, uh, that's in this episode where they're, you know, arguing and, and it's just like, you know, captain or no captain right now, we're just two assholes lost in the woods. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. And I just think that's absolutely amazing. I just think it's great. No, again, great encapsulation of those characters. I, I do love, especially in crime storytelling, just the, um, I don't know how else to phrase this, just kind of like petty betrayal that can crop up from time to uh -huh. time. There is that moment. Yeah, especially when it comes to smaller shit. Especially when it comes to smaller shit. For some reason, the smaller shit matters so much more. Of course. I don't yeah. know why that is. It's, it's dumb shit like the, oh, he thinks he's giving us orders now. You know, like, okay, he just didn't uh -huh. say please. But yeah, put his remote back. Right. You know? Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say what I like about the show. It's exactly shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what I like about the show overall and what I like about what I imagine is a running thread through a lot of the stuff we're going to cover is when sure. characters are like kings of really small empires uh -huh. so everything feels so high stakes but like they control like a couple corrupt unions in the greater newark area yeah yeah or or you know or whatever like oh the meth kingpin of albuquerque okay <laughs> you know? yeah yeah um, or, like who the, who the fuck do you think you are whatever or, or you know fucking fargo where it's the kansas city mafia like okay sure oh sure. yeah you know but like you know, but would would these stories be even partially as interesting if it were covering like the fucking Bernie Madoffs of the world or anything? Like Th that's the thing is, it's a very you know when you when you think about like the whole you know big fish small pond mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing, it it really does amplify just how insular these situations are, right? Because right. they really are just like these these little incestuous pockets of of reality for these people. Where like this is obviously the most important thing that'll ever happen to them, mm -hmm. you know. But but in the grand scheme of things, like is it even really that important? No. You know? Yeah. Uh, by the way, I said that I made that crack about Bernie Madoff, and I realized Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, oh. <laughs> like you're not wrong. But like I mean that is 100 percent of like a story who uh, about a dude who was at the top of like an industry, and got uh -huh. his way, got his uh, himself up there through just rampant fraud. So, yes, yeah. that does make an yeah. interesting story. But, yeah, yeah, the shows that we end up covering are, are probably going to end up covering, I should say. Um, kind of focus on these people who, like you said, big fish, small pond, king of a really tiny yeah. empire. Um, which means that, like, their, you know, great schemes, the best laid plans of mice and men can be uh -huh. completely knocked over by mice and men being really fucking petty and... Uh, and and often are yeah and often are and, and shit where like you know the whole thing can topple because somebody misheard somebody else on a 2002 motorola phone right. oh man which is again this is oh god this is just such a great yeah so so rewinding great... to what i was i was getting at before i said that about the sure, sure. the empires and stuff that leads to really great character moments where again it matters the most to these guys and i love that kind of petty betrayal that can happen between characters where they're like, hey, don't, you know, after all we've been through, you think I wouldn't kill you? You know, that kind of back and forth. Where it's like, yeah, uh -huh. but they're like, you know, they're family, effectively. Yeah, but they're family. And right now they're both going through such a, such a unique thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, characters who are obviously, rightfully, all about, like, posturing themselves up. And, you, uh -huh. know, um, you know, big guys dressing loud and, you know. Uh-huh. Uh you know, everyone's got a gun and they all have, you know, yeah, all these things. But then, like, 
it's fun watching them get undermined by like deeply human concerns and once it all comes crumbling down man. yeah exactly um, once once the shackles of society are no longer part of what you're worried about you know not, not, you're truly free but at what cost yeah <laughs> <laughs> not to make this all sound too grandiose but like rome fell because people got hungry that's also true damn <laughs> Damn. And they didn't have those ketchup packets to eat. <laughs> Mix it with the... No, 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 no. Not yet, not yet. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> but no, so I love that that petty betrayal. Um, like, uh, I really like it in, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, where they're constantly swapping who's on what team. Uh-huh. Or, or whatever, where, you know, someone has a key, but there's only one sword and three people who want it. Like, oh, yeah. I love that. I yeah, love that kind of... It's been a while since I've gotten into that. But I do love that as a, like, as a trope and just in general. Yeah, that petty stab you in the back bullshit. Where, where oh yeah, that and, and again, wants. again, it's for little shit. It's always for little shit. Why? Yeah, for what? Five thousand dollars? Did they say? Yeah, it's not a lot. Silvio's not money lot. is like five k. Yeah. Which you know, I'm not saying that's. I I get it, but. Sure, sure. All that to say, yeah, no, I uh, so I love that like petty stabby in the back kind of stuff. Where stuff that makes uh, Polly Walnuts feel compelled to lie to Tony about, like, oh yeah, you know, how this uh, sucker punched me. No, he didn't. Yeah, Why are you yeah. lying about this? He sucker punched. He sucker punched me. T. Yeah, that was. He he definitely does give that. He he definitely just absolutely lies his ass off. And for what reason? For what? For nothing. For for nothing. Just because he feels like he has to, I guess. At the end, it's all fine. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's another thing I love, too, about this episode is that, you know, they, they go through this whole ordeal. They think they're going to die. You know, they genuinely think they're going to die. And I can't say I blame them. Uh, you know, and at the end, you know, after Tony picks them up, he's like, well, where's the money? <laughs> and uh, Polly's like, oh, it was in the car. And he's like, I asked you to do one thing, you know, yeah. but he's not. It, it's like so tongue in cheek at that point that it's like not a huge deal. It's just like the juxtaposition of like how genuinely they they were fucked. They thought like, oh, this is it. This is the end. We're going to fucking die. And then now they're like, oh, now we're going to, you know, they're eating biscuits or whatever. It's uh, it's just such a, just such a classic. Well, what, like four hours earlier in the story, Chris and Polly have like their guns pointed at each other's heads. Uh-huh. You know, like, and again, <laughs> just pull back for a second, man. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that is a lesson that they learned. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's going to stick, but, you know. Yeah, who knows? You, you hope it does. You hope it does. Sidetracking just a little bit, or changing the focus just sure. a little bit. Tony fucking Soprano. Oh, At, at the Tony. top of the mountain of characters you're not yeah. supposed to like like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. He's not, he, he's not a likable dude, is he? No, 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 no. He no. is so scary. James Gandolfini does a, a great job of switching between, again, this kind of goofy, uncle-y kind of guy uh-huh. to just being mm-hmm. the most frightening dude. Th- yeah. There are moments. Hey, I just watched the episode where they, um, I guess spoilers, folks, where they kill, well, sure. uh, where they kill that one guy uh, after offering him a soda. I literally, so I didn't watch that episode, but I was like looking at stuff on YouTube and I was directed to that scene. So it's, and he's killing, uh, 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 what's his name? Bevilacqua, Matthew Bevilacqua. Yeah. Uh, because Chris's... he tried to kill Christopher. Yeah. 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 And, and he offers him a soda and he says like, 
are, are you sure you want a diet drink? Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, it's good. And he's like, because that's motherfuckers, the last thing you're ever going to taste. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And they trick him into thinking, they're like, oh, you're a good kid. And they trick him into thinking that he's like off the hook or whatever. Man, what a crazy episode yeah. that was. But there were t- there are times when, again, he switches between that kind of goofball. Hey, yeah, I'm just, I'm messing with you, you know, kind of right. stuff. Right, I'm messing with you, kid, the, yeah. Don't you ever cross us again, kind of stuff. Man, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes him, like, so scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that, like, you just never know where he's coming from. Yeah, you never, you never know what side he's about to be. Um, or, or like season one where they uh, threaten the owner, of the Jewish owner of that hotel. Or whatever. Uh-huh. He was like, yeah, just cut him up. Like, you know, he's just so matter of fact. Um, yeah, yeah. He's fucking terrifying. And anyway. He really is. All that to say, there is nothing all scarier to, to me specifically than when he gets like super zen. When oh, yeah. Polly is saying like, I know, you know, I know I fucked up. You know, I should have had the money. You know, I'm sorry I lost uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. And he's like, he's just turning around and he's like. He's, he's got this look on his face. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. Don't, hey, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I get I get it. Or whatever. And I guess for them, like, you just, how genuine is that? Is he going to kill me later? Like, what is what is what is happening with this? Is he just trying to you get know? you to lower your defense and then he's going to sucker punch you or worse? Because you just never know. Are you going to get shot when you get out of the car? Yeah. Is he going to <laughs> recruit several of your closest friends to do it? I think that maybe, like, the only indicator that he wasn't going to do that came a little bit later when he just said to them you know this is on you like if this comes back y'all got to deal with it i'm not dealing with it and i think that that at that point maybe they knew like maybe they were in the clear but yeah which is a, a, <laughs> before that who can say which is a great way to you know obviously i know uh this episode never gets truly resolved in that sense um correct we never see the russian again um no we do not but that is a cool way to keep the mystique of that episode going, even mm-hmm. if we never get to that eventual point, which I think is some sure. real clever writing. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. I just think, and I think that that whole, man, that whole thing with the Russian is really great too. Um, because when, like the first time that I ever made uh, Hector watch this, he was like, oh no, that's going to come back. And I'm like, you know what though? No, it ain't. No, it ain't. No, it doesn't. May I read you some quotes from the show creators? Yes, please. Um, on oh, the f- yes, please. So the the guy we're referring to, uh, his name is Valerie, uh, not spelled like that. Um, like, yeah. But he's he's the Russian uh, associate of Slava who Polly and Christopher attempt to kill in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, <laughs> and <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, they certainly don't intend. <laughs> they certainly don't kill him in the way that they intend to. Anyway. Correct. On the fate of Valerie, Terrence Winter said, That's the question I get asked more than any other. It drives people crazy. Where's the Russian? What happened to the Russian? We could say, well, he's out there and he's got a big mob war with the Russians. Or he crawled off and died. But we want to keep it ambiguous, you know, not everything gets answered in life. That's so true. So true, bestie. David Chase, the show creator. They shot a guy. Who knows where he went? Who cares about some Russian? This is what Hollywood has done to America. Do you have to have closure on every little thing? Isn't there any mystery in the world? It's a murky world out there. It's a murky life these guys lead. And by the way, I do know where the Russian is, but I'll never say because so many people got so pissy about it. Wow. Well, okay then. Shit. Keep your secrets. (laughs) All right. Keep your secrets. 
All right, keep your secrets. <laughs> uh, another interview with Chase. You mean the Russian? People came to me. He never went up a tree. He collapsed and he was found by some Boy Scouts. And they got in touch with his, I don't know, somehow he was carrying a piece of ID, which led them back to his boss, Slava the Russian guy. He was put in a hospital and, you know, like he was completely his massive brain trauma and sent back to Russia. <laughs> uh, that's barely a sentence. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think it's, it's important that, you know, we're not supposed to know. We're yeah. just not supposed to. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Sirico specifically said, sometimes. I think David didn't like it. He wanted the audience just to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Which, good. I mean, you know, good on him. I mean, talk about naturalistic writing. Like, yeah, he's correct. Shit yeah. does not get wrapped up. It, not all the time. Well, and I think that, if anything, that response is just so, so on point with the way that he that he decided to end the series as well. <laughs> you know, right. you that's... You've seen it. I know about it through cultural osmosis. Please, sure, I feel like that's. I mean, like, not sorry for the quote-unquote spoilers, but I feel like that's just one of those, one of those things that you just find out about in 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 the course of being in the world, or in the case of uh, doing a BoJack Horseman podcast and it being a major reference in one episode. Yep, that too. That too. No, but I, I please, if you want to elaborate on that. Uh, what? Just the, just because he ended the series in an ambiguous way yeah no i mean uh, if yeah. you wanted to describe the ambiguous way in which it ended well for anybody who doesn't know and i feel like that's almost nobody at this point you know it's it's he's meeting his family at a diner and then the very last shot of the entire series is like a straight up shot shot on him and then it got face just goes to black just fades to black um and a lot of people were not happy with that a lot of people were a lot of people had different interpretations on what it meant uh, but one thing that I will say is that I know that he accidentally kind of, kind of gave, gave up the ghost or sorry, gave up the ghost. That's when somebody dies. He kind of gave it away. Like what was happening when, uh, in an interview, he said something about like, well, you've seen the death and it's like, we've seen what, 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 what's that now? <laughs> and he was like, oh shit, I hate you guys. So like, yeah, that's, it was, the intention was definitely for him to have been, he, he died. So, so, uh, and that, but that was a debate for so long. And I think it could still be debated. You know, I think that it could still be something that's considered subjective in certain ways, uh, which is why I think it's neato. That to me, I think is a little more interesting than like debating about the inception top forever. Yes. Yes. I agree. Cause I think there's a lot more I completely agree with you. motivation around that, like character yeah. motivation around who's got it out for him yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that's, I think that lends itself to the overall tone that the show is going for, which is just this, not everything is as hard and fast as many of its successors would be. Or sure. many of the television. And it's also like a little bit, you know, before. just a slight kind of slice of life sort of situation too, where it's like, okay, we entered in at this point. Now here we are, you know, and then we leave at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Zen, almost. Almost. I mean, I guess in a way you could describe it like that. I don't know that I would, but I guess you could. <laughs> I just mean like, you know, we're, we're with the world for a little bit. We're with the story for a little bit. Yes, yes. We come and okay. go. We, the audience, don't get to know everything. Right. No, I okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I can get down with it. I can get behind it. Um, I've written here, uh, there's snow jogs. Which is just, I think it's very funny when Christopher and Polly are like hopping through the snow. Uh, oh my God, yes. When they're chasing after uh, Valeri. Uh, 
Yeah, that's there's so much like bonkers like physical humor in this and like I don't know, it's wild. It's just absolutely wild. There's a scene in uh season one where they're chasing after a guy, they kill him while he's on his morning run. Uh yes. That involves Yes, I remember that. Yeah, involves I think at least two of them just booking it through the woods after this guy. And the guy is like uh-huh. obviously rightfully like slipping over logs and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Now that I, I think that. it reminds me of a scene from uh, Insomnia, which is like Chris Nolan's Al Pacino movie. Anyway, I did not see that one either, but that's fine. Pretty good. Um, that's fine. I believe it. Uh, the only reason I bring that up is like in contrast to this scene, where obviously it's played far less threatening and it's far more comedic, where they are just. They're, uh, they're yeah. doing the yeah. snow run. You know what it is if you live in an area that has snow. It's where you have to sure. lift your whole I mean, I don't fucking even... leg up to take one step. I don't live in an area with snow, but I I know what you're talking about. I've I've been I've been in snow previously in my life. Yeah, contrasting it with that contrasting it with that more dramatic scene of them chasing after that dude in season one, and then this where they're all just, they're quite literally blindly stumbling through the snow, um, uh-huh. shooting their guns off randomly. Sure. Uh, one of them gets, in his own words, brained pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, p- played much funnier, but I just love their little fucking snow hops. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and again, the the language used during this episode, the just the, the general vibe of how they're, you know, like the, the malapromisms are like one of my funny or one of my favorite things. Oh, sure. That they do. Uh, what's the fake shoe company he... Or, oh no! It's a it's a real shoe company. <laughs> yes, but his version is well. But it was oh yeah 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 Bruno Malia when he's like oh Bruno Magli over here. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. That's a good time. Oh yeah. Uh, may I bring up the the episode that I would have done, or rather, can I talk about my oh. favorite Sopranos episode very quickly? I mean, we're here. I'd love to hear it. Sure. Um, I I think you made a very good choice. I genuinely think this is some incredible television. Uh, Thank if you. I were if the tables were turned and I were bringing an uh-huh. episode to you. I think I would have gone uh-huh. with the episode in which they uh, visit Italy. Uh, in which oh, Tony, that is a good one. Tony has some business with another part of the family uh, uh-huh. and goes to, let's see, where is it? It's because uh, the uh, volcano's there, right? Yeah, it's, uh, 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 hold on, I gotta look this but up But it's Vesuvius, now. right? It's not Pompeii? I wanted to say that, I wanted, well, yeah, I wanted to say it was. It's Vesuvius, yeah. Yeah, so wherever that is, Sicily? I think, I think so. Man, we are so good at geography this isn't embarrassing at all i feel great about myself i'm googling <laughs> oh boy oh it is sorry it is pompeii oh, so Mount, oh, is sorry it? pompeii well, is the town vesuvius is the mountain my bad there you go okay. uh that being said that places it solidly in naples naples okay yes okay it's Good five job, miles team. five miles next to naples um anyway so they go to naples um and, like, there's the whole contrast between, obviously, these guys are some, you know, Italian fucking Americans. Um, oh, yeah. But the episode does a cool thing where it contrasts that, their imagined version of their heritage mm-hmm. contrasted mm-hmm. against how actual Italian people live in Italy. Um, yeah. Where, like, sure, the mob still has some control, but they demand, like, maybe, like, a bigger level of respect. Um, uh-huh. There's a great scene. Uh, I think it's one of my... Yeah, I'll say it's one of my favorite scenes of the entire show. Just go and say it. Where Tony Sirico's okay. character is like... He's at the dinner or whatever, and he's like struggling with the Italian food. You know, oh, Italian yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. food. 
Yeah, uh, I remember this. That they're serving to him, you know, it's some, you know, nuts and seafood. Um, sure. Kind of dish or whatever. And, like, he has mm-hmm. he has a moment where he, like, flags down the waiter. Or, or, no, I think he asks the people sitting across from him at this big, huge, like, uh-huh. you know, conference table, like, dining. He's like, hey, because sure. he doesn't speak Italian. Or, or, or if, you know, as he does, uh-huh. it's, it's, you know, colloquial Italian-American borrowed words. Um, yeah. You know, he, yeah. he, like, asks... I mean, you know, he says it's his of Madone and all that, but he doesn't speak. He's not fluent in Italian to speak Italian. Yeah, and he asks the people across the table, he's like, hey, can I just get some, like, pasta <laughs> or something? Yeah, I don't remember yeah. exactly what he says, if he says, like, macaroni or something. But it's just, like, this interesting thing where where these guys have built up where they've come from in their heads uh-huh. so much. And then when they get there, uh-huh. they don't even like the food. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's such a good observation. You know, it's the homeland. It's, you uh-huh. know, hey, you know, we're, we're part of this great immigrant tradition. Our motherland. Our ancestors built Rome, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, uh, can I get right. something a little more can American I... on the table? Right. Um, can I get something? Yeah. And like, you know, yeah. uh, Chris sleeps through the vacation pretty much. Uh, because well, because he's, he's on heroin at the time. Because he's doing heroin and he doesn't actually get to see Mount Vesuvius. And uh, which is, yeah. Tony butts heads with the uh, the leader of the, uh, that Italian mob and all that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. They have like a weird conflict where he's like, "Yeah, but you know, I'd never take orders from a lady." Uh, uh, Tony. A lot of a lot of stuff going on. You know, and it's just like such a weird culture clash for these guys who are obviously so wrapped up in their, you know, immigrant identity, and then uh-huh. that kind of falls apart the second they leave the area they live. Oh in. yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I think that's such a cool look into those characters as well. I think so too. And again, it's that, and it, again, it's the, the big fish, small pond kind of situation as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just underscoring that, that these guys aren't even yeah. like, you know, they're the mob, but they're not like that mob. Right, right, right. They're not to be taken that seriously, but I mean, if, if, I guess. And and what's if the big what crime they're talking about with the other half of the family? It's uh, uh like importing cars. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. Not really high stakes. Man, I gotta re I gotta rewatch that season. I mean I may have to do a rewatch in general. It's always a good idea. It's never a bad idea. First couple episodes of season two, I wanna say. I think it's like yeah. S S two E four or something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna rewatch it. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that underscores everything that we've also talked about coming out of this episode. The big fish small pond, the uh uh-huh. Italian American identity stuff, the Sure. Uh, again, very naturalistic. Yada yada yada. Good character contrast. All that jazz. Uh huh. Um, damn, Sopranos. The whole good. Nine. Who knew? So good. Lots of people, as it turns out. That's that's a good thing. I like that. Pe- people were but right yeah. about the Sopranos. Yeah. Who would have known? Who would have guessed? Who'd have thunk? Uh, Leslie, what was your favorite joke? <sighs> Where do I start? I mean, I guess you know, like I said already, we're going to be in kind of a it's it's a different kind of situation because we don't have as it's not as serious or whatever but there are definitely some moments that are great some jokes that are great um my favorite one of all time that still rotates in my in my head like 24 7 like a 7-eleven hot dog is definitely uh when they're both stuck in the car and it's overnight and they're getting cold and they don't know what's going to happen and uh they're eating (laughs) they're eating uh condiment packets that they found in this truck and they're like, oh, that's pretty good. And then uh, when Polly says to Christopher about 
one of the packets, mix it with the relish. I cannot tell you, mix it with the relish. Like that just, def I, that just, it's just such a beautiful moment. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Like other than, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the funniest. It really like takes you out of the, the dire situation of it all to, to just enable yourself to just laugh at it, um, which I think is beautiful. So yeah, that's definitely got to be my favorite. Got to be my favorite. My favorite joke comes a little earlier in the episode. It is when they're at the gas station uh, talking about what they're going to do. And I uh, just love uh, Polly Walnut saying something to the effect of, and that way we'll be right next to Atlantic City. You know, we can get a room, spruce up a little bit, and uh, play some blackjack. That way today won't be yeah. a total waste. That's, you know what? And that's absolute famous last words territory right there. Famous last words like... territory. It is so funny to... Like, obviously, they have a body in the trunk. Sure. <laughs> like, like a man's sure. life is going to, they believe, has either just ended or is going to end later today. Oh, sure. And they're just like, yeah. hey, you know, but, like, we can swing by <laughs> Atlantic City, right? Well, we can swing by Atlantic City and get some get some gambling in. That way yeah. today won't be a total waste. Just, the, I, I appreciate that level of, like, dark humor. Sure. I mean, it's great. Um, also, hell, I'll go even a little bit earlier. We're talking about them being bad criminals and whatnot. <laughs> The idea of, like, going down to Atlantic City, if this show came out, like, ten years later, absolutely there would be sure. some, like, stuff where, like, yeah, we spotted those two on a surveillance camera in Atlantic <laughs> City. That proves they were in South Jersey during the time the body was dumped. Uh-huh. Anyway. But that's that's not going to be this show. Yeah, not this show. Not this show. <laughs> that's not years, happening on this show. In ten years, some some Blacklist episode will Sure. Um Sure. But I love the contrast between uh, when when that family walks by and Polly Walnuts tries to do a, hey, how you doing? And tries to like be friendly and jovial. And then yeah. like, they just walk past him and he mumbles, cocksuckers. And then immediately and just, says like, anyway, let's dump him in the pine barrens. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just so much. Ben, there's so much. I could I could list my favorite like quote unquote funny moments. Like there's, you know, hey Bruno Magli over here, you know, mix it with the relish. There's we're two assholes lost in the woods, which beyond being funny is just a fantastic, fantastic quote. You know, there's just the humor of Bobby and his honey gear. Like there's so much, mm -hmm. so much to appreciate about this episode that isn't, you know, necessarily overtly funny, but man, when it hits it, it hits it. Yeah, subtle humor, you know? natural writing. Yeah. I just love the, yeah. uh, I love Paulie being upset that that dude won't talk to him because he looks like a scumbag. And then immediately yeah. talking about dumping a body, thus proving that dude mm -hmm. read him right. He's a scumbag. He is a scumbag. He is actually. Um, he is, in fact. You know, these characters know who they are. That's what I like about them. Yeah. I think that wraps up our thoughts on Soprano. On I Soprano. Think so. For, on, on, on the one, the, sing, the singular. Tommy. I think yeah. this wraps up our discussion about The Sopranos. I'm good if you're good, Leslie. I'm good. I know you and I could text about this for literal hours. For, forever. Uh, but we do got And have done, and we'll do again. And we'll do again as I finally finish the program. Folks, my oh, name is yeah. Ben Hamlin. You can find me online at Ben C. Hamlin. That's over on Twitter and Instagram and all that jazz. Sufficient Owls pretty much everywhere else. You can check out my other work at infinitybreak.net where we're telling stories our own way and you can support the show directly by telling your friends about it, leaving five stars on Apple Podcasts and of course supporting us at patreon.com forward slash infinitybreak. There will be stuff from this very episode up there. Uh, I'm sure we'll find some time to do a bonus episode soon. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Leslie, where can people find you? 
people can find me uh, at Vanetti uh, on Twitter and a lot of other places, actually. Uh, I can be found pretty much everywhere with, with at Vanetti. So uh, come and look for me. Be my friend. Yeah. Talk to me. Hang out. Talk to me about Sopranos. Tell me what's your favorite episode. We are really excited to be in the land of petty crime and uh, Hell yeah. and scumbags. Uh, this is some of my favorite territory. I love media about people who suck. Um, so do I. Nothing, nothing delights me more. Uh, we'll be back with my staff pick in two weeks. I have not discussed what that's going to be. Uh, Leslie, I'll bounce some ideas off of you. Um, oh, I'm already thrilled. Yeah, Let's do this. Yeah. And if you want to talk to us about you know the sopranos or really anything else uh we do have a show podcast or a show uh twitter account as well that's right syndicated throw that out there at syndicated wlab uh i've been posting a lot of sopranos memes on there for the last uh week or two uh even as we move on to other shows i will be posting more sopranos memes uh there's a (laughs) lot of memes about the sopranos hey nothing wrong with that my friend this is fucking tony sopranos twitter account now I love it. All right, folks. Uh, that's that's uh, that's our episode on The Sopranos. We'll be back in two weeks uh, with another episode of Syndicated. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Have a good one.